Hi, Julie. Hi, Lisa. We're recording a little early this week. It's a it's a Monday versus our usual Thursday. You're right. Um, when we could <laughs> just look at my watch. I'm like, is it a Monday? I don't even know what day it is anymore. Yes, it's a Monday. You're right. So how are you doing? I am doing well. Uh, we just had a nice uh, taste of summer here this this weekend. I think a lot of people around the country had it. So kind of our first weekend where we get uh, start getting our messages from runners of panic of that was so hard or I felt so horrible and it's totally normal and expected. And it was really bad here in the DC area. It was like 97 on, on, uh, well, I think both Saturday and Sunday afternoons, it got to a high of 97. So it was hot and it was hot early. So, um, a little taste of what's to come, but I, I like it. And I know people get mad, <laughs> get hate, hate emails after this, but I love it. I was happy. Yeah. I think, uh, the key here, and, and we talked about this last week on our podcast as well, is just really giving yourself time to acclimate and recognizing that there are going to be some ugly runs until you do. And even after you acclimate, it's it's not necessarily linear. Perhaps you acclimated, but there's an extraordinarily hot day, or let's say there's a week of cooler days, which is a great reprieve, but then you go back to running in the heat and you're feeling it again. So just know that training is training, miles are miles, time on your feet is time on your feet, and you will absolutely get the benefit of your training. I think it's also worth sharing that when you're doing a workout where the uh, recommended pace, for example, says 5K pace, that's when you switch your workout to effort. So, and same with the race, if you have a 5k and it's on the hottest day of the year and plenty of people had, for example, the Germantown five mile this weekend, hottest day on record so far, you don't have to skip the race, but instead of running what you think your projected five miler slash 10k paces, you got to run by effort because it, it, it will just be a big crash and burn if you don't. And, um, yeah, let me just say, I was, I had this conversation with um, one of our runners. Susan Spencer did a 5k this weekend and you know her time was a little bit slower than the time she ran on a similar course in March and I um, if you look up on runners connect there is actually a heat pace calculator that's fun to play with you put in the dew point the temperature um, your uh, distance and your um, pace in ideal condition or your goal pace and it will actually calculate what the adjusted pace is and funny enough it adjusted it to exactly what she ran yesterday so, okay. um, yeah, so it was just a good example of like, look, your times are pretty much equivalent because the heat, when you factor in the heat. Um, so I would say that's a good, um, good thing to play around with, especially if you are headed out for a race and it's going to be really hot and you want to get a sense of, like you said, where to start. You don't want to start at your typical 5k or whatever race you're running typical race pace. You can put it in a calculator like that and figure out like, okay, you know, if I was going to start out at a 750, I probably should be starting out at an eight minute pace. Um, based on the weather. And then if you feel good, you can pick it up. But at like, like you just said, if you start out at what you think is your race pace for that distance and it's hot out, you are going to crash and burn. So I think it's always a good idea to adjust that. And again, if you feel good, you can pick it up later in the race. But um, but that goes not only for racing, but for, for, for training as well. Amen. And that pace calculator for those listening that may not have caught that, that's on runnersconnect.net. That's the website. That's a great coaching company. And on the face of their website are several links, including that heat calculator, which you and I use frequently for our runners. Um, and yeah, it's a great tool. Uh, to that end, our condolences go out to um, the family of the runner who passed away on Saturday, sadly, at the Brooklyn Half Marathon. They just released his name, David Reichman, no relation to anyone from your extended family, Lisa. And um really awful. And while certainly we don't want to speculate as to the cause of his death, we, we would never do that. We, we do understand that there were at least 16 hospitalizations in addition to um, what happened to David. And those have been attributable to heat and humidity. So uh, we feel really badly um, for the race director because really these race directors are doing the best they can we feel horrible for the family. I mean, you never expect when running a race that you will encounter a deadly situation. It's really awful and unimaginable. And when, anytime this happens, you just feel like any runner who's, who's, who passes away as a result of running or racing, you feel like it's part of an extended family and it's just a horrible, horrible situation all around. 
And I know there have been a lot of chatter on Twitter and um, just by a lot of non-runners who are in the media saying that the race directors were irresponsible for continuing to have the race. But I disagree. I feel like understandably it's, it's hotter and therefore conditions are more difficult. But we have no doubt that the race directors, director at the very least shared warnings, please take care of yourself. Please make sure to take the necessary precautions. Uh, it is my understanding there was water and electrolytes available on the course. Um, unfortunately, these things happen. And I, I feel like the best thing we can do as runners is to do what we can to spread the message to everyone, especially newer runners who are just starting a race. And that is, it is no time to be a hero when conditions are that hot and humid. And instead, run the best you can in those conditions, as we just referenced earlier, take in all the electrolytes you need, but also it's okay to DNF. It's okay not to finish. There is absolutely no shame in not finishing a race, particularly if you are feeling hurt, injured, or if your health in any way you feel is being compromised. We all know deep down there are times in races where we don't want to finish because we're having a bad race. We're not talking about that, but we're talking about those moments where you're saying to yourself, is this a good idea? How am I feeling? Am I putting myself, my body at risk? There is absolutely no shame in finishing. And again, we don't, and not finishing. And again, we don't know the circumstances of this particular runner. Our hearts go out to his family. We're, we're not at all, at all judging this runner for choosing to finish, but we're just using this as an opportunity to share that it is always, always the best decision to do what's best for your body, especially under unusual conditions when it's hot and humid after a long winter and it was the first hot day and boom, suddenly you're faced the race. And that actually happened to one of our runners and we want to give her a shout out and just a lot of applause. And that is our runner, Shayna. She headed up to Martha's Vineyard this weekend to run her very first marathon. She was very ready, very prepared, had done all the runs, had practiced her nutrition, very positive and ready to go. And we really had no doubt that she would be able to finish the race. And unfortunately for Shayna, it was a really, really hot day. And she started cramping very severely right around the halfway point and had to stop. And it was in the, her muscles were seizing. She was super uncomfortable and made the right decision for her to stop. And we just want to give her a shout out because she worked really hard and we know that there's another marathon in her future, and this is not at all a reflection of the work that she put in, but it's a reflection of her judgment, and she made the right call for her on that course on that day, and we just want to spread the message that it is okay to not finish a race. That's sometimes what we need to do to protect ourselves and our health. Well said, and, and I think, um, especially in a marathon, making that decision earlier on gives gives you an opportunity to come back and do another race and have another chance at it. So if you push through 26.2 miles and you're just totally spent after and you've worn your body down, getting back up to do another one is not is not as easy. Um, if you pull out at 12 or 13, it's a catered tempo long run and you can uh, regroup recover and you've got enough in your legs to do another one if you decide to do that. So I think that's a decision that can be made and, and plenty runners have made that decision early on to save their legs. Um, even we've seen pro runners do that where they just know it's not their day and they decide I'm not, I don't need to put my body through 26.2 miles. And um, I think that takes a lot of maturity and, um, and kind of confidence in your running to be able to do that. So definitely, like you said, shout out, shout out to her for making that decision and being smart about her running. Absolutely. And then we also similarly want to give a shout out to Shana's friend, Lauren. Um, Lauren also went up to Martha's Vineyard this weekend and ran her very first marathon. And we just want to share a little bit about Lauren's training. Uh, Lauren did not do a long run longer than 18 miles because we very much believe in the way we coach that long runs are about time on your feet. And if it's going to take significantly longer than three, three and a half hours to do that classic 20 mile long run, then you're actually doing your body a disservice and you're kind of doing the marathon 
before the marathon. So while we recognize that for many runners, that 20 miler is the goal distance to run before a marathon, it's actually an arbitrary round number and it's okay to do less. And so Lauren's longest run in her training cycle was 18 miles. She did a few 16s, mostly 14s and 12s for her first marathon. And Lauren finished with flying colors, felt good, finished well under the cutoff time, which was her goal. Uh, beat her goal by over 12 minutes. And um, she was a little worried. There were a couple of times during her training where she said, are you sure this is long enough? Have I done enough miles? And we would say, yes, yes, this is, this is what we feel is best for you to prepare for this race. And it ended up working out great for Lauren. So again, we say this a lot. We say this with so many of the wide variety of guests that we have on the podcast. There are so many different approaches to training and figuring out the right approach for you so that you can finish your goal successful and as healthy as possible is really what the ultimate goal is, no matter what your specific process is. Good point. And, and uh, that gives us a great segue into our into our guest today, um, because his training is is not quite like everybody else's. Um, you don't often find um, a 70 plus year old who uh, regularly runs 200 mile races as part of their training. So um, we will preface this with our guest, Gene Dykes, is a running unicorn. And again, somebody who can put in a lot of miles, knows his body really well, can put in a lot of miles and still do really well, um, so well that he um, has had had until uh, until just a few days ago, actually, the record, um, and it was not, he'll explain to us why he wasn't, uh, wasn't official, but it was recognized as the record for a 70-year-old marathon finish time, which he finished in 254.23 in December 2018. Um, uh, just recently, the, there was another guy who ran uh, 250.23, for 19, so four seconds faster, and that was just earlier in May. But until then, um, Gene's record had stood. He's also a five-time Boston age group winner. He won the 65 to 69 age group in 2016 and 17. 2000 in, in 2017, I'm sorry, 2016, 2017, he won the 70 to 74 age group in 2018 and 2019. And this year in April, won his age group He's now in the 70, again, 70, 74 age group uh, in 312, which is just amazing to me. And I happened to run into him in person uh, at the Broad Street 10 miler two weeks later, which he beat me <laughs> winning his age group in 107. Um, so he's got a, a long, long litany of incredible achievements, including, um, you know, records from, from all distances and, and running um, ultras of 200 mile ultras. He's now, he'll explain to us looking at running a 300 mile ultra. Um, he, he likes to keep running farther and faster as he explains to us um, uh, through his years. And it's just incredible to us. Um, you know, we've been talking the last several weeks to some master's age group winners from Boston. And uh, we're always uh, just impressed at how they certainly do not let age um, become an excuse for, for slowing down. They found some way to, to beat the, beat the odds and keep getting faster as they get older. For sure. And we also, I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't point out again, and I, I love that you use the phrase or the word Lisa to describe these individuals from Lisa to Heather to now Jean, they are unicorns. We're not at all sharing their, their, their achievements and their training to say they've done this and you can too, but we're sharing their stories because Everyone can, can get takeaways from each of these episodes as to how to be creative with your training, how to not necessarily do everything the, the standard way that we've seen before and how it's okay to change things up and do things a little differently at times. And, and bottom line, do what works for you. And that goes back to our conversation a few minutes earlier. And Jean is a perfect example of this, as were Lisa and Heather. They are doing what works for them, and they are able to continue running strong and strong and successfully as a result. Yeah, I think all of them have share in common that they've really gotten to know themselves as runners over the years and figured out what works for them, what doesn't. Um, and again, with as we get older and as we get more running experience, we tend to get more maturity and more confidence in our decisions. Um, and Jean will hear from also talks about how a coach can help get you out of that um, sort of that funk or that, uh, you know, off of a plateau. So, you know, also taking 
coaches to look at at these runners and figuring out what uh, works individually. And that's what we do as coaches is we look really at individuals. And like you just said, with Lauren, you may have taken a different approach than we would take with a different runner. And it all depends on so many factors. And that to us means getting to know our runners really, really well. Um, so uh, without further ado, let's turn it over to Gene and hear how he has been breaking records and running lots of miles um, well into his 70s. So Julie, I hope you and I are both talking running and doing this podcast and running. We we, we used to talk about um, our kind of pipe dream of like we'd be in the old age home, uh, you and I, and we'd be organizing the group runs, right? So let's hope that that's where we are. Um, uh, you know, in uh, how many years? Over 20 years from now. Uh, but that's what I what I picture us doing. And when we talk to runners like Jean, it gives us hope that uh, that we'll still be running fast when we're there. And not in old age homes. We'll be in our own homes and and having the times of our lives. So that's we're gonna be in the villages, Julie. We're gonna yeah, be we're, in the villages. we're gonna be in the villages in Florida. <laughs> anyway, Lisa, have a great week. You too, Julie. Bye. Bye. Jean Dykes, welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Uh, as we were just telling you before we got on uh, online, um, you are one of our most requested podcast guests. And I was fortunate enough uh, to literally, almost literally run into you at the Broad Street 10 miler I finished. And um, I, I mentioned on one of our previous podcasts that as soon as I finished, I saw two of our previous podcast guests. Brenda Hodge and Karen Dunn, and they were standing and speaking with you. And again, they said, hey, it's great to see you. You need to have Jean on your on, on the podcast. And, and as soon as I got back and told Julie, we decided to, to follow up. Um, uh, not only uh, did you place first in your age group at Broad Street, but you are arguably one of the most accomplished masters runners. And um, just a couple of weeks prior to that, along with us, you were in Boston and you were snagging what I think is your fifth age group win at Boston. Is that correct? Uh, I think so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you lose track after some time, but placed um, first in the 70 to 74 age group as a 74 year old. So like you're at the end of that age group and you still placed first in that age group, which is, is a tremendous accomplishment. In, and I think your finish time was 312 at Boston. Yes. That's amazing. In, yeah. Incredible. Well, those 70 year olds are, are nipping at my heels now. So it'll be a, a good thing to get into this 75 year group next. Right. Time. It's always a little relief as we get older to get in the next, you know, the next older, older age group. And you're at the bottom of the mm -hmm. of the five year age group. Well, we want to find out today who is Gene Dykes? How did you get to where you are? And from what we understand, you were sort of um, a late bloomer that that really started achieving these um, impressive accomplishments and across the board in all distances. And you even run many, many ultra marathons as well. And seems like you really kind of came to that a little bit, a little bit later in life. Um, so tell us sort of your, your progression of running when you started and when you became, when you realized that you were really good at this and, and really kind of what made that difference between a great, a good runner and somebody who now is, like we said, at the top of, top of the master's ranks. Well, it uh, has been kind of a, a checkered past. Uh, I first started when I was, oh, about 11, 12 years old, I guess, and uh, 12 or 13. Yeah, I just decided to go run one day. And uh, you might think, oh, well, you know, so you went running. But this was when there were no runners. I mean, I never saw a runner. Uh, in fact, the whole time I ran in high school, I never saw another runner on the road. It's, you know, imagine going out and running and not seeing any runners. Uh, it was people would stare and dogs would go berserk, you know, because they had never seen such a thing. So it was natural to do high school track and uh, and they had just allowed the two mile event. And so I entered that and uh, all the good runners were still doing the mile. So uh, so I thought it was hot stuff, you know, winning all these two mile races. And I went to college and my my coach had heard that I would, you know, was practically undefeated in high school. Boy, was he disappointed in me. I was just terrible <laughs> in, in college. Uh, I was just totally wiped out by everybody, teammates, opponents. And uh, so that gave me the impression that uh, I wasn't uh, a very good runner. If people now say, well, you must have good genes. But if I did, they weren't doing anything for me when I was in college, because uh, really, I was just not very good at the, at, at the college level. So 
through most of my adult life, I still enjoyed running. So I'd be in shape sometimes, sometimes not, you know, go out and run just, just for the fun of it. <clears throat> and as you say, it wasn't until age 56 when I uh, fell in with a bad crowd who only talked about running and racing. And, and so I started running with them on weekends and, and I trained up for some races. <clears throat> And then it's, it's sort of the motto of your group, except I have one thing to add. Uh, <clears throat> I promised myself once I started running and, and, and saw how much fun it was that every month, every year, I would run a little farther, a little faster. And the third thing is, or a little more often, because that's an important thing when you're building up is to, uh, is to start trying to run more often than, than you do. And, uh, and I did that fortunately for seven years, I was able to run a little faster every year uh, until I couldn't. And, uh, but on trails, I kept running further every year and you know, 50K, then 50 miles and hundred miles, then a couple hundred milers and 120 miler. And uh, it, it kind of got hard to out. So then I had to start throwing in the more frequently because you know, I uh, can't run much farther than 200 miles. So I started running three 200 milers in a year. And uh, <laughs> it really starts getting hard to go a little further or, and or a little more often um, when, you, when you reach that point. But I keep trying. I'm thinking about doing a 310 mile race this year. Um, and if that goes well, I, uh, I hope to do 400 miles in a race in December. So. Uh, but going back to the faster part, when I reached uh, a plateau where all of a sudden my marathon times weren't coming down anymore, I think my PR at that time was 316. And when I tried to beat it at uh, a marathon, I ran 329. So I thought, clearly, I'm going the wrong direction. There's only one way to get faster, and it's something I had resisted, and that was hire a coach. You know, I said, what the heck? I'll give him five months, see what he can do. And in five months, I went from 329 to a 309 at Boston. And uh, <laughs> and uh, he's he had me improving every year after that for five more years. I kept improving 66, 67, 68. All my PRs are from when I was age 70, no matter what distance. Um, and, uh, well, you don't fire a guy like that, so... <laughs> course, I've still got him. And he knows so much more than I do about what I can do. Uh, I really admire people who can coach themselves, but I am not that guy. Uh, I couldn't dream up the workouts he gives me. If I assigned them to myself, I'd never be able to do them. You know, so I, I have his, have him giving me the right workouts and he's my accountability. I'd rather die than Right back, coach. I couldn't do your workout. You know, I mean, it's the only thing that keeps me going out there is that I just don't want to let the guy down. You know. So it and, sounds like from how you describe your running trajectory, you kind of had two sort of major circumstances in your improvement. The first was when you joined a running group, you saw significant improvement, mm -hmm. and then phase two is when you hired a coach. What from both of those? Uh, points in your running career, what did you, do you think made a big difference in terms of how you train? Let's start first with when you were working with the group, and then we can talk about what you've been doing with your coach. Well, first off, you know, there's just so many ways to enjoy running. And well, I did enjoy running by myself. Uh, I found that as soon as you join a group, instead of waking up in the morning and hitting the snooze alarm and going back to bed, if you have to meet a group, you bound out of bed, you know, you just can't wait, wait to get there. It doesn't matter how tired or sleepy you are. Uh, if you have a group, you really, really look forward to it. And uh, for most people, that's probably an essential thing for, for uh, keeping at this running game. So uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Groups are, groups are fun. I've had uh, good running buddies and they move out of town and I'm adrift for a bit, but then, then I'll meet somebody else out running and, We'll get gabbing and pretty soon we're, we're buddies uh, in training. So yeah, I'd say I spend uh, probably an equal amount of time training on my own and an equal time 
uh, running with the training partners. Uh, the coach, yeah, I mean, you know, it speaks for itself. It's just, uh, I, I was just, just a, you know, I wouldn't say I was a lousy runner, you know, I was able to get down to like a 316 marathon on my own, but uh, it's just a world of difference when, when, when you're being coached. It's just, you know, I keep thinking, you know, even now I think, well, I may be slowing down, but my coach will figure out a way to get me faster again. So I uh, uh, just have the ultimate faith in him. Gene, what does what your training look like now? What is, what is, oh, maybe not now, but maybe leading up to Boston, like this kind of phase of training, what, what does your training look like? How many miles do you do? How many days a week? What kind of paces and workouts do you do? Well, people are always disappointed when, uh, when I have to tell them that I don't have a regular schedule. I mean, what you have to realize is I run close to 40 races a year. So each week, he's not only training me for a marathon coming up, he's He's recovering me from the last weekend's race and tapering me for the next week's race and and trying to throw in some some things. But yeah, for a big race, I'll frequently give him a block of a month or so where he can concentrate on it. And there's the usual mix, you know, a couple rest days, a couple recovery days, you know, uh, a day with intervals or fartleks or long runs, tempo runs. Uh, I, that was probably what was missing early on when I coached myself is I was an old, you know, long, slow miles. It just miles was the only thing that made any, made any sense to me at the time. I did go to do track workouts now and then, but I don't know. It's just not the same as, as uh, doing a 14 mile workout where you're doing intervals at three miles at marathon pace and, and uh, you know, two or three times it's uh yeah, he dreams up things I just never would have dreamed up on my own. Do you do, you do any strength training? Oh, you're going to, I'm going <laughs> to, another disappointment for all your listeners. Uh, I'm kind of famous for, I don't strength train. I don't cross train. I don't stretch. I don't have a special diet. I just run. That, that, that's, that's all I do. That's not to say that other people should adopt that philosophy. It's just that you have to make sure you have you perceive a, uh, a a need for it to see that it really does do something for you. So many people do these things just because they're told you have to do this. And I am so inflexible that stretching stretching always injures me. So, you know, I got injured a lot less when I stopped stretching. Uh, for some people, yeah, it's important to avoid injuries, but make sure you find out which which person you are instead of just just doing it. Electrolytes. I think 90% of people don't need electrolytes. And, uh, you know, I, I never saw any difference whatsoever when I stopped using them. Didn't have cramps before, didn't have cramps after. Didn't, it just, you know, a lot of these things are, yeah, you, that's what's, what's, what's fun about uh, the period of time, maybe when you don't have a coach, you're doing self-discovery, you're finding out these things. And uh, uh, so I don't certainly don't want to poo-poo not having a coach. Just wait until you really want to know, you know, what's the best you can be. But you can be have all the fun you want, you know, without one. Does your coach, um, when you started working with your coach, and by the way, his name is is John Goldthorpe, is that correct? Correct. Um, just listening to you, Gene, I think what was magical and correct me if I'm wrong about you getting a coach is you were already a terrific runner and you have a lot of natural talent, but the timing, when you decided to start working with a coach, you were ready and willing to actually absorb in the information and, and be a coaching client and listen to your coach's suggestions and implement them and be open to those suggestions. Yeah, I think you're right. I think those uh, first seven years where I coached myself and I had a real lousy coach, uh, <laughs> It was, uh, I probably resisted the idea to hire a coach because I sit there and say, well, he's going to try and tell me how to run. I mean, who doesn't know how to run, you know? And I, I just couldn't see the point of it. And, uh, and well, maybe it's just because I'm frugal, you know, uh, you know, spending that money to have somebody tell you how to run. But 
so there comes a time when it's uh, the time is right. And, and you're right. It just, it just really came over me quickly. I said, I was so disappointed in that one marathon. I said, okay, I'm going to get a coach. And it wasn't as if I had been mulling it over a long time. The time was all of a sudden, all of a sudden, right. Uh, I saw that I had done all I could for myself and I wanted to know if there was more. And boy, there was so much, so much more hidden away there that I had no way that I could unlock it. Have your pace, your um, easy paces changed? Your race times have remained very speedy and um, in terms of your road races, of course, and all of the times you've accomplished well into your 70s. Have the paces of your easy runs changed? And if so, how have you remained positive and, and consistent in your running when you do see that sometimes the paces on your training runs are, look a little different? Well, it's funny. I sometimes tell people I know how good a shape I am by the pace I can keep up during my rest days. You know, it, uh, I can always seem to do the hard workouts, but some of those rest days are really tough to keep up this sort of like bare minimum pace. Um, and that was one of the things he had me doing was not only was I doing hard workouts day after day, when it came time for a rest day, I think it was probably the same speed I was doing all my long, slow workouts before. And uh, so, oh, I'd say nine minutes per mile was my cutoff. I, I was sort of not allowed to run slower than nine minutes per mile. So I had to do my rest days, you know, 830s, 845s. Uh, and that was hard for me for a while. But when I was in my top shape, yeah, rest days were easy. When I was not in top shape, even rest days were kind of, kind of uh, tiring for me. So, um, you know, interesting timing, um, you know, for, for many, many years, you held the record for um, the 70 to 74, I believe, eight, uh, age group record for marathon, for, for the marathon time from 2018, I think was your, when you, when you set that record, is that, is that yes, right? Uh, and then uh, I, we, we just heard, did somebody just break it last week? Well, of course, uh, lots of people think I hold the record, I only hold it unofficially. Um, oh, right. There's so many things. The course was was the course not USATF certified? Oh no, it was certified. There oh, was, was okay. nobody doubted that I ran a legitimate marathon right. uh, that was record eligible. It was you know was a, a loop course, but all records are certified by the local authorities in the U.S. That's the USATF, right. and one of their re requirements is the race has to be sanctioned, which is just the race director paying a little money, getting some insurance, right. promising to uphold certain things. And uh, he didn't do that, even though I kind of gotten the impression he would. So if the race isn't sanctioned, you know, you're, you're out of luck. Now, this guy that beat me by four seconds, <clears throat> uh, he might be in trouble because he had a pacer. And at least in the U.S., that would be a no-no, and they wouldn't ratify that record. I don't know what the Dutch authorities will do, so that'll be something to to see. Yeah, but, it was interesting uh, to read. I, I had read something that you know um, he had mentioned even himself that um, you know, with the advent of super shoes, he thought it had, was becoming easier to to break records. And and we've seen uh, a lot of records broken recently: the Masters Women Half Marathon um, or Women Half Marathon time. You know, many records keep getting. It seems like a lot of records are falling recently. And a lot of people are pointing to super shoes or, um, you know, so I'm curious to hear what you think about, about super shoes and about the development of particularly masters runners um, running, you know, record times and, and breaking these records and, and breaking new barriers. Mm. Uh, well, I run in the, uh, the Nike vapor flies now for flies. Yeah. And uh, because I think they are good for a couple minutes. Uh, I'm not sure they're good for more than that, but I do have a, a new secret that I think is worth maybe four or five minutes. And uh, without it, I wouldn't have been, uh, I wouldn't have been able to run the time I had at uh, Jacksonville where I, uh, in 2018. And that secret is Martin, the uh, energy drink. Uh, yes. uh, before that, I could only ingest maybe 200 calories during a marathon without getting nauseated. And now I can get a thousand calories down during a race. And I mean, that's huge. You get to the mile 20 mark and uh, I'm in just no danger of running out of energy. And I can sort of keep up to my training potential uh, much longer. 
and you know you only have to bonk with two miles to go and you're going to lose 10, 10 minutes and uh, early in the year just before i discovered martin uh, <clears throat> i ran a 250 uh, 255 at toronto and i lost 2 minutes in the last in the last mile and uh, if i'd have had martin then well then i would have held held the record uh, so uh, it's important to keep your uh, important to keep your eye open for new new technology. I would call Martin a new technology, and uh, yeah, just just great stuff. They don't they don't sponsor me, or I'm just saying this because boy, it worked for me, and uh, I use it in ultras too. Uh, at some point in ultra, you'll lose your appetite, and then you can really go downhill fast. First, you lose your appetite, and you start losing energy. Then you can't drink anything, and you get dehydrated. But uh, I'll just then switch to a, uh, a bottle of Martin and I get my appetite back. I get my energy back. Uh, and it, it, it's, it, it's great. That's great. What we, we love about what you're talking about. Number one, we both use Martin in marathons. We use the gels and it sounds like you use the drink. So I use the mix. Yes. Okay. So what we love about what you just shared though, is you were already fast and then you decided to introduce something and a lot of people have a hard time, and we understand this, buying into eating more during a marathon because they say, well, I don't want to upset my stomach and it's worked for me so far. And certainly you could say the same because you are already fast, but you wanted to get faster and you decided I'm going to see what happens if I try a new method of fueling and it worked, it did make you faster. So for anyone listening who doubts how nutrition can impact your running, listen to what Gene's saying. He was already fast, tried it and it works. So yeah. our question is, I'm sorry, I just had a Go question. Ahead. With how how are you consuming the drink? How often? And sort of share a methodology with those who may want to try the Morton drink for their next race. Okay. Well, if you're using gels, you're uh, you're on your own. I'm just never really happy with gels. So uh, what I do is I wear a hip belt. A lot of people don't seem to like them. That's I've been wearing a hip belt for marathons since uh, since my first marathon, and uh, boy, I just it's that way you can you can have your water whenever you need it and with martin it's uh what i do is i pre-mix one and fill the other bottle with just the powder so i'm not really carrying two bottles of water i'm just carrying the one and in fact i'm not even carrying one bottle of 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 the stuff because i'll drink half of it in the start shoot and then sip on the rest for the next say six six seven miles then uh, I can just fill up the one bottle, shake it up, and uh, drink most of that over the next mile. So um, I'm sort of getting a constant infusion of these calories, and I'm not carrying that much uh, water at all. A full water bottle is kind of cumbersome in a hip belt, but I'm almost never carrying more than uh, half a bottle's worth at any one time. When I need a third one, though, if, I'm, if I don't have a resupply from uh, somehow, uh, then I'll have to rip open a packet, shove it in, and 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 that's a little more cumbersome. And uh, it it takes a little talent to pour that powder in while you're trying to do a you know a fast mile, and uh, some of it ends up on the street, but most of it gets in there, and and then from there into me. So, but yeah, it's I've never even I've just never come close to bonking with that many calories in me toward the end. That's, that is important. And that's something that we, um, you know, we try to emphasize to our runners too, that importance of, of constant fueling and, and um, how important it is to that, the end of the race. Mm -hmm. um, so tell us, you know, you would mentioned you run so many races, 40, 40 races a year, any races a year. Um, uh, first of all, how do you race that many races and stay healthy? Well, first of all, uh, retirement is wonderful. You know, obviously, you're not going to be able to do 40 races a year uh, traveling all over the world with any kind of a reasonable job. So uh, one advice is, you know, get your nest egg and maybe save your legs for retirement because, boy, you can have a blast, you know. So but if you have if you don't have money or you don't have legs when you get that age, then then you're in trouble. See, retirement's a great, great time to run. That's the message I try and get out there is that people think, oh, I don't want to have to. You know, give up my 
my youth, uh, it's not going to be any fun running when I'm old, but no, take it from me, you know, I'm having a total blast and, uh, and you can too, if you're prepared. So, uh, uh, but get back to your original question, which was again, what? <laughs> how, how do you, how do you avoid injury for uh, the most part? I know you've struggled with some injuries, but you know, for the most part, you've had very healthy running and you had many years of running, you know, three, 200 milers and many, many races. And yeah we're able to stay fast and, and injury free. Well, my mantra of every year go a little bit further, a little bit faster, a little more often uh, applies here. Uh, as long as it's, it's, you know, a little more each time your body gets used to it. Eventually it just gives in and says, okay, you know, uh, for instance, uh, marathoning. Uh, after my first marathon, I couldn't walk for three days, certainly couldn't run for a week. And that was the case for for several marathons but with my little more often mantra at one point i ran marathons on saturday and sunday two weekends in a row in two months in a row and and uh i couldn't you can't just do that right off the blocks but you can teach your body to recover quickly uh one of the secrets the, the most fun way to teach your body to recover quickly is to do a stage race you know, where you run, you know, a large number of miles, several days in a row, you might look at the total mileage and say, I couldn't possibly do that. But it's amazing by the end of five or six, seven days, whatever the stage race is, you're churning out the, the miles just uh, even better than you were when you started. It's, it's, an, it's an amazing thing how your body adapts to running day after day after day. Sometimes it makes me wonder why rest days are, <laughs> are useful, but uh because you can do a stage race without rest days, but uh, but no, I'm not gonna not gonna advocate getting rid of those. So, yeah, have you found that you need more rest days or more recovery as you're getting? I mean, when we say older, I mean this is you know you're you're now you know it's all stages of older. But as as the years go by, do you feel like you need more? I mean, you're also somebody who clearly has a, a, a natural ability to run and run a lot of miles and run healthy. So that obviously is, you know, the running mm -hmm. unicorn that we, we call it working in your favor, but do you feel like you need more recovery or, uh, you know, more it's, time between hard runs? It's so hard to tell because, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I do so many races and I'm, you know, I, I get rest days because I'm tapering one day and recovering the next, but, uh, no, I think, uh, if I were to tell my coach, okay, just we're just going to train for a marathon for the next three months, he would undoubtedly do the same thing, which is probably probably five or six days of hard workouts and one or two rest days, uh, just just like always. While we're talking about injuries, though, um, I have a uh, a race coming up this weekend. I'm going to Norway to run a 100 mile race, and seven days ago. Uh, I could barely walk because my back was hurting so bad. I had had a back injury late last year and uh, while running in Canyonlands National Park through slot canyons where you're climbing over rocks and stuff it, it and jumping down, you know, from rock to rock, it really acted up. And I thought, oh my gosh, now I've got to get cured of this back injury or, or, or Norway's out. So after three days, I was able to go out and run and discovered that while my back still hurt, it didn't hurt while I was running and running didn't hurt the back. So I got through that injury. Now, two days ago, I was doing some gardening and I was pulling this heavy bag around. And later that day, my calves were killing me. And I thought it was my workout. And I said, gee, you know, I've got sore calves. That's really unusual. But it's two days now and my calves are still killing me. And so obviously it's more than sore muscles. It's a strain. And I'm only four days away from my hundred miler now, and I'm I'm trying to work through my second bunch of injuries in in a little over a week. So, jury's still out whether or not I can uh, avoid injuries, at least for this race. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of confident it'll be the same thing, though. I'm thinking I can't walk around the house, but I can still run. And it's it, I'm going to write a book someday about how injuries are weird. I mean. Some injuries can be just totally debilitating, and yet you've gotten run and you don't feel them at all. And uh, it just uh, astounds me sometimes. 
I think the lesson is don't do any gardening around the house. Yeah. <laughs> Always Gardening's seems to be the, the, non, the, non, the non-running things. Um, so since we're a Boston Marathon podcast, we, we t- tend to focus, you know, a lot on Boston. I want to just touch a little bit on Boston for you this year and your, you know, your Boston experiences and, um, you know, what what you think of Boston, what you learn from Boston every year, how you pr- continue to perform well at Boston. How did how did this year go? And, and what, what, what in your mind... Um, you know, does is Boston, you do so many races? So does Boston still stand out to you? Is it still something special, or is it just another race? Uh, let's see. I have a, you know, two reasons I run. One is to have fun, and one is for competition. And I know a lot of people, you know, really when you talk about what marathon do you want to do, they only list the majors. And well, I, I I love little smaller marathons. I don't know if there are thirty people in the marathon. That's 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 great with me. Uh, you know, the smaller, the more intimate it is. But Boston is a competitive race. So, uh, so of course, I'm going to do it every year. And when you get a streak going, and I had a streak of four straight age group wins going into last year. And uh, I went into last year injured. I was terribly injured, terribly out of shape. And uh, I lost by 25 seconds. So this was my redemption year. And uh, I wanted to get a new streak going. <laughs> oh, I just remembered. So now I have a streak of one straight age group win, but I can't compete at Boston next year because of a uh, a vacation that was scheduled a long time ago. So uh, I'll have to get restarted again. At, well, you uh, wrapped up the seventy to seventy four age group pretty well, pretty well this this year. At least you you took the last year the last year in that in that age group. Do you know the other seventy year olds in your age group? Do you know Do you know who the competition is? Well, I usually, uh, I always, before I run Boston, I always try and look up, see what crowd people are in. And it was a little confusing this year because there were several people in the wave ahead of me who were not competitive. And I don't, I know, I, I, at least one guy was just up there because he was running with some streaker and the Boston knew him and he'd, and right. they put them yeah. up there, but there others reserve numbers for the streakers, the 25 plus yeah. members, they, they get numbers in that wave. Yeah. There, there are some people that get in that, the end yeah. of the first wave. Yeah, and even though he wasn't a streaker, he was allowed to do it because he was running with the streakers. I don't know okay. what the rules are, but I, right. I, I I looked up the results for some of these people, and I couldn't find that they'd ever run a decent marathon every anywhere. So I kind of ignored them and uh, uh, learned at the halfway point that I had a had a sizable lead. You know, so obviously when you hear that, you know, you got a ten minute lead, you. You think you might start easing up, but that never happens. You know, I always wait. Did you have somebody on the course who was monitoring? Yeah, I knew somebody who uh, at the halfway point who was keeping track of the competition. Uh, As far as I know, that's legal. Um, It is. um, Because that's how the guy that beat me last year won. He was he was his wife was saw him about with four miles to go and said, you're only like, you're only 20 seconds behind the, the other guy. And so he picked it up. And <laughs> so uh, I met him at a race earlier this year with his wife. And I said, so you're the one that caused me to lose this year. And <laughs> yeah, it was all good natured. Uh, you know, I was really happy for the guy. So that is too funny. So, so what is it about Boston for you that makes the race special and, and what tips um, do you have for those running Boston as a veteran yourself? Well, every year at Boston seems to be different weather-wise. You can always, even if it's the same race, you're always going to get different weather. Uh, this year was probably the the, the best weather ever. And uh, 20, 2018 was probably the worst weather ever. Probably the worst weather anybody will ever have for any race. Uh, it's hard to imagine uh, anything worse than that. But I guess my main point is you'll look at it and you'll say, oh, okay, it's you know, it's downhill and then, then there are these big uphills, but then there's that big long downhill at the end. Um, my advice is the uphills aren't as hard as you think they'll be. And that downhill is gonna be way harder than, than you think. It's, uh, it really only seems to go down steadily for, you know, a mile and mile and a half. And then you're just going through the, these back streets of Boston, it's just, oh, it's just awful. I, I mean, I really, really hate those miles. And uh, and uh, you're way tired than you think you're gonna be. 
it's uh, so uh, don't don't think you've got it made when you reach the top of the hills and and uh, uh, and I think you'll make it up the hills better than you think you will. That's great advice. Um, did you get to go to a special award ceremony this year for age group winners? Oh no, I'm. Uh, there are several of us are really pretty annoyed with with Boston. They did the same thing last year. They said really? there's no awards ceremony, and and then they said you have to show up by such and such a time to pick up your award and we're not going to mail them. And, you know, I wrote them a nasty letter and said, look, you know, you didn't send this out until I was out of town. And, and this year they didn't announce the award ceremony until one hour before it started. I mean, I mean, I, I don't know why they uh, are giving us age groupers such a hard time. So no, I, I didn't hear about it until too late and uh, oh. I couldn't go. And I know another guy couldn't go and another one who, went but it was a great hardship for him i mean i don't know because the award ceremony used to be really really a nice affair you got to watch all the the wheelchair winners and and uh, all the age group winners the overall winners all you know kind of a you know it wasn't a very crowded session and it was great um one of my fondest moments comes from 2019 um well i i set the age group course record there and that was announced and somebody comes up to me afterwards to congratulate me it was it was Joan Benoit Samuelson and, and I, uh -huh. wait, wait a minute <laughs> she's congratulating me she she is certainly my my female idol in marathoning because she has stayed at the top of her age class you know her whole life nobody does that everybody everybody you know fades when they get older practically so few people like her and she was the number one age graded score out of 30,000 people at Boston that year and uh, just uh, she's just amazing well she probably thought the same as same of you you know <laughs> you, you are the same you're you know somebody who's just been um continuing to achieve as as you age what what so we we know you've got a 100 mile race coming up but what else do you have on the horizon for this year anything else that's um that's notable oh uh oh, lots of fun things uh i suppose my hardest race will be one week later because that's a one mile race <laughs> you know i uh, agree <laughs> that's i hate i hate I'm doing it because I'm on a team and, you know, you know, you, know, you got to take one for the team now and then. And then I go back and do a 50 miler, which I'm really looking forward to because both my daughters are, are entered. And uh, so we're going to do a 50 miler together. Later on, we're all like, going to do a marathon, uh, uh, the CIM in California. And so I've got those to look forward to. Uh, my daughter's going to do her first hundred miler in Washington state. I'm going to try to do that with her. I think it's going to be too hard for me. It's the Cascade Crest 100. Uh, it, uh, it's going to be really hard. Uh, I have to do it in under 34 hours. And so much climbing and I'm a just a terrible climber. Uh, it, uh, it's going to be tough, but uh, even if you don't finish a hundred miler, I mean, if you do 80 miles, 70 miles, it's, it's, it's great fun. All those people say, I couldn't do that. Well, a lot of people say they can't do things because they've never tried them. And, uh, uh, you know, try, try a trail race, try one that's 50 K and then a 50 miler and, and just keep pushing your boundaries to find out where they are. Don't just assume they're out there. Yeah. I didn't know I could do three, 200 milers in a year, I, but that didn't stop me from signing up for him didn't make me go to Facebook and say, Hey, do you think I can do this? You know, if you want to do it, do it. Don't, 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 don't look for uh, uh, Facebook friends to encourage you to do it. I love your, your philosophy on that gene, because I hear from you, don't be afraid to try. And if you, if you end up DNFing, who cares? Because you won't <clears throat> know if you can do it unless you try. And I think you're right. There's a lot of folks out there that immediately set boundaries because they're afraid of quote unquote failure, but failure is not trying. So put yourself out there and give it a try and see how you do train, do the, do the, your best repair, but recognize that yeah. if for whatever reason you have to pull off the course, that's okay too, because you'll never know unless you try. Well, I certainly encourage everybody to give themselves the best chance to finish, but just in case you want the story of, of the thing that'll just 
still completely boggles my mind is I was running a hundred mile race and running alongside this uh, young woman. Naturally, we were talking about the races we've done. And I said, well, you know, how many hundreds have you done? She says, oh, this is my first. She says, in fact, I've never run further than a half marathon before. And unbelievable. I thought, sure, that I was going to see her, you know, collapse at the side of the, but no, she finished with a fairly, a fairly decent time. And I checked up, I looked on Athlinks and certainly, no, she had never run anything longer than a half marathon before, even in training. I, I, just unbelievable. So even if you don't think you're ready, you might be, but I strongly encourage you to, you know, take it on gradually and, you know, do the, but uh, I never trained for these hundred milers. I trained for marathons. And uh, so if you've trained hard for marathons, I think you're in shape to do a hundred miles. Uh, that's, that's the way I did it. Uh, you just have to, you know, you won't be the fastest you could be without training, but marathon training is sufficient to run a hundred miles. What is generally your longest uh, training run in terms of mileage for a marathon and or a hundred miler? <laughs> well, a lot of my hundred milers, uh, I'll do a week, a month, I mean, a month before a marathon. So you, I would say in general, I'm usually doing 50 or a hundred mile long runs uh, a month out. But if, uh, if I were training and not doing ultras, it would probably be, you know, 22 miles, something like that. Uh, but it wouldn't be an easy 22 miles. It'd be something, something devilish that my coach would, would come up with. We're familiar with those. Our, our, our runners generally don't love it so much oh. when we put in those quote devilish uh, miles in the long runs, but they make a difference. They really help. And, and once you're done, you really feel like a, like a badass. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, I always say challenge conventional wisdom. And certainly one of the conventional wisdoms is if you want to run your best marathon, you know, you've got to have a solid three week taper, right? Okay. Well, maybe a good idea, but it isn't necessary. When I set the unofficial world record, I ran a, a hard 5K the weekend before, but two weekends before, just two weeks before I, I broke the world record, I ran a 50K on Saturday and a hard marathon on Sunday. That is in nobody's tapering you know, schedule. And if, if you're prepared and if you've prepared yourself by going a little more often every year, trying to run more frequently as well as faster and further, you know, you can do these kinds of things. Yeah, I think that, you know, you're a good reminder of um, you know, a number of different things. Like you said, first of all, getting your body used to doing this and, and getting it acclimated over time, over a lot of time and, and really, um, you know, building that, that really strong base of endurance, but also knowing your body. And everybody is different. And like you said, some people may be able to do a shorter taper. Some people may be able to do harder back-to-back -back races. But I think that's so important as runners is to understand our bodies and um, and to look to, I think, like you, like you found, look to a coach to help maybe get you out of a, you know, out of your, what you think you're able to do or capable of doing and, and challenge you. And, um, you know, clearly whatever you're doing is working for you. And um, we hope that you're healthy and you're able to go do your 100-miler um, what's the weather like in Norway this time of year? Is it is it going to be cold? Is it going to be mild? <laughs> temperatures are going to be in the fifties, uh, maybe lows of forty five, highs maybe maybe low sixties. Right now, it's looking like uh, about eighty percent chance of rain during the first half of the race. So wow. it won't be ideal, uh, but uh, you know, there's no such thing as bad weather, only bad clothing. So I'll be prepared for it. That's great advice. And, um, and we really, uh, oh, Julie, do you, Julie, do you have something? Yes. I just wanted to follow up on one thing. You had mentioned earlier that you had a an injury that um, caused you to not be able to run for a period of time, which we know is rare for you. Um, when you do sustain an injury rarely, what do you do and how do you manage it? And do you have any recovery tricks for those who may be managing injury as a master's runner? Hmm. Well, I, I guess managing injuries, I can only relate to as a master's runner because uh, I didn't run often enough uh, early on to, uh, to, to amass a whole lot of injuries. Uh, you know, 
most injuries, you know, you have to bite the bullet and just and just rest. Uh, I've had uh, uh, Achilles tendonitis that you know kept me out for five months. Um, I've had uh, hamstring strains that have kept me out for several months, and odd foot pains that you know that weren't diagnosable. I mean, you know, MRIs, nobody could figure out what was wrong. So, and the way I do it generally is because sometimes you're going to you can rest longer than you think. Once I'm sort of pain-free, I'll go out and run, you know, one mile. You know, well, if that's fine. I'll go out and run two miles. And, you know, even if you have a little pain, as long as the pain is less, you can keep building up. Fortunately, I'd say half the injuries you can train through by just noticing that even though you're training, the pain is is going away. But if, if it ever starts getting worse, then I go back and rest another week or two before I try again. And uh, so it's sort of a, you know, sort of like peeking under the lid, you know, with an injury, seeing if it's still there and uh, uh, and hoping it's the kind that you can train through. Uh, yeah, some just aren't. Everybody, fortunately, I've never had to deal with plantar fasciitis much. Uh, that one seems to be, you know, pernicious. Uh, yeah, my worst are Achilles and uh, hamstrings. Uh, in fact, I had a hamstring injury that kept me from running, you know, even casually for six years. Uh, you know, I thought it would be a fun idea to sprint in on my training partner. You know, we were out there running and ah, I just, I picked it up and beat him to the finish line. And that was the last time I ran for six years. Um, it just, just tore the ligaments uh, at the hamstring insertion point. And every year I would try and run, it would hurt. Take another year off, try and run. And it wasn't until I, uh, I that aforementioned when I ran into a, a bad crowd, I tried it again. And fortunately, finally I was healed. So, uh, well, talk about burying the lead. That's actually an incredible story. There are so many folks out there listening to this that may be in the throes of a serious injury that you just described that may feel that their running days are over. And look at you. You were out for so a very long time. And for many, they would be in the middle of that and say, well, I no longer run. I am no longer a runner. But something inside of you knew to keep trying. And you decided to, in your words, go back with the bad crowd and try again. And you did it. How did you, during that time, how did you sort of um, commit to at least trying running again? Or if you look back at that time, would you ever have imagined that you'd be running at the level you're running today? Oh, I, I never imagined I'd be running anywhere close to this level. And, and then until I was, you know, uh, in fact, you know, when I broke the world record, I didn't think I had a chance at it until, oh, I don't know, maybe uh, two or three months before. I mean, I still thought the world record was something that set by Ed Whitlock. Most people thought that that was a record that would never be beaten. And I agreed with him, even though I had managed to break three hours in the marathon. I, that was a long way from there to 254. And uh, it wasn't until I was on the, on the doorstep that I realized it was possible. But I want to I want to reiterate about uh, you know being at the top of your game when you're old. The important thing is, I'm afraid to say that for most people, there's some truth to the statement that no matter when you start, you only have 15 good years. And I'm in my 16th year, and I you know I feel like I'm feeling it. I don't know. Maybe it's just wish fulfillment type thing. But uh, I, I really feel like. Well, now I am not going to get any more new PRs. But for all of you who aren't anywhere close to my age yet, I certainly um, is that you can. This works to your favor when you have this kind of injury that keeps you from running. You don't have to think of it as lost time. Think of it as postponed time, uh, or even reset time. Those six years I took off that possibly kind of reset me to zero so that I could have 15 good years. And, and that's how it worked out. So, uh, yeah, it, it, I know it seems terrible when you're out, but you have a lot of good years ahead of you, you know, even, uh, you know, even if you're in your sixties now, you know, sitting out a couple of years, isn't 
isn't as bad as you might think. It, it really allows you to reset. And, uh, and I think uh, that was an important, if I hadn't had that injury, I don't think there's any chance I would be as, as, as good as I am today. So um, yeah, don't give up hope with those injuries. Might be a silver lining. Yeah, there's something to be said to waiting until you're a little bit older to run and waiting until that retirement, those retirement years when you've got a little bit more time. Um, so like you, like you said, I love that perspective and I love shifting the perspective from what was me and, you know, oh, I have to take this time off to this is buying me some more time later later mm -hmm. on down and down the road. So Dean, you have shared so many wonderful um, pieces of wisdom with us. We're not surprised. You have so much experience and so much, so many achievements. And uh, we feel so fortunate to have been able to talk to you today. We are excited to follow your, your trajectory and, um, and see what, what comes next. And um, we hope you'll keep us posted on how you're doing. And hopefully we'll see you in Boston next year, if not some, at a, at some race sooner than that. Um, but we really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to us and share all of your wonderful wisdom with us today. Okay, well, if you ever uh, wake up someday and say, gee, I'd like to talk about running. Well, you, you've got my phone number. <laughs> yeah, that's what I remember you, you said to me when, when, we, when we met at Broad Street. I said, oh, we need to have you on the podcast and chat. And you said, I will always talk about running. So that, that would be a, a great, you know, wonderful, wonderful resource to have. So thank you again. Safe travels to you. And we hope you have a wonderful and fulfilling 100-mile race coming up and that you are, your calves feel good and that you're healthy and that everything comes together for you. I sure hope. But if uh, worse comes to worse, it'll be fun anyway. That's right. right. You've got many more things to look forward to, especially running with your daughters, which sounds really, um, really meaningful. Oh, yeah, so that's great. We love that you share that with them. So thank you again, Jean. And um, we hope you have a great day. Thank you very much. Thank Bye you, Jean. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryant. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others. And please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.